Hi there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I'm a very tired and oftentimes overwhelmed autism warrior mom who has navigated the ups and downs of this puzzling disorder for 16 years and counting. My hope when creating this podcast was that it would serve as a vessel for connecting families with special needs children so we may share experiences and resources. But even more importantly, I want to create a community of support for one another through the tough times, which we know there can be many, and to celebrate the achievement of milestones, big and small, of our amazing kids. So thanks again for joining me on this journey and for tuning in for this episode of Living the Sky Life. Welcome back to Living the Sky Life. Today's episode is one that you need to listen to. While taping this episode, I learned so many important lessons and tips for assisting first responders in any type of an emergency. Let's admit, you know, we probably aren't the most prepared if we were to get in a car accident or have a home fire or any other emergency situation uh, with our special needs kids. And the topics that my guest covers today are crucially important to ensure the safety of our children. So my guest today is Ashley Parker. She is from a small town outside of Springfield, Missouri. She's married to her husband, Kyle, and they have a nine-week-old baby girl named Eliza, who brings them so much joy. She works for Ebenezer Fire Protection District and enjoys every minute of her job. Ashley has been a firefighter, EMT, since the age of 18, and now at the age of 27, she actually serves as the assistant fire chief. Although she is not a special needs parent, Ashley has made one of her missions to connect with and educate special needs families to help keep all children safe and ultimately prevent tragedies from occurring. So please welcome my guest, Ashley Parker. I'm really excited about today's guest on Living the Sky Life. I've got with me Ashley Parker. Ashley is um, an EMT and currently the assistant fire chief in the town she lives in in Missouri. She gave a long, long, long post um, on Facebook, which was so packed full of information that all special needs parents need to hear um, about just safety in the car, in a fire, all kinds of topics. So we're going to unpack all of that. So I'm really, really excited for the information you're going to share with us, Ashley. So welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So I guess before we get into just all of the things that you want to tell all the special needs families about safety and um, everything that you would need to know if you're called to an emergency situation, um, I'd like to first have you kind of share your experience um, and why you decided to reach out to um, an autism Facebook page and talk about some of these things and just to kind of be on the page. I know you don't have a, a child on the spectrum yourself. So, um, you know, I, I appreciate you greatly for, for reaching out and wanting to be a part of educating all of us. So you want to give a little bit of your background? Yeah, sure. I, uh, I, I'm from a small town here in Missouri, and that's, that's where I've lived my whole life. And um, when I was 18, I got into the fire service kind of by accident, and uh, I have loved every single minute of it. I, I work for Ebenezer Fire, and it's, it's an incredible place. Um, and we run emergency calls all the time. And that's where I have kind of got a little bit of my experience with the autism community. Cause like you said, I, I'm actually only just now a new mom myself. I have a nine week old and she's wearing me out, but uh, 
so no, no, um, no personal experience with it, but through the job, you know, I've kind of ran in, uh, to some of those situations before and, um, you know, you, you see those kiddos and they're, they're just awesome. Their families are awesome and you want to do everything you can. And sometimes, uh, you know, just the, the nature of why we're there, you know, the high stress, the high anxiety, um, the loud noises, you know, it, it takes a lot of extra effort to make sure that those kiddos are comfortable and well taken care of. And that's um, just what I want to help people do is, is be prepared for these emergencies and, and be on top of things to make the transition that much easier for their kids when, um, fortunately, if they ever are in one of these scenarios. Yeah, and we think that we're prepared. I mean, I, I think you mentioned um, in the post when we talk about ca car safety and accidents, I have one of the little Velcro straps over on my son's seatbelt that says I'm nonverbal and I'm autistic and I you know, might not be able to respond to you or whatever. And I thought that was like great and that I was doing that if I was unable <laughs> to communicate and there's so much more. So I guess we'll just break it down by um, the types of scenarios, if that's okay. And let's talk about um, car safety and accidents that involve an, an autistic child in the car, um, verbal or nonverbal, and kind of some of the tips you have for that. Yeah, yeah. And those, you know, those seatbelt covers, they, they are great. But like you said, they're just the tip of the iceberg. All you you know, if I've, if I've walked up to your car, and for some awful reason, you know, we're looking at you being unresponsive, or we're looking at um, a fatality accident where uh, the child is alone. Um, all you've given me is their name and the fact that they can't talk to me. Um, which while that is important info, I now know how to address your kid and I know that they will not be able to address me back. That's very important. There's so much more that's needed. So having a way to ID the kid right off the bat is great because at least when I can use their name, that's good. Um, but having like a packet in the vehicle is going to be imperative. Uh, we are good at searching the vehicles for that kind of stuff. We will always look uh, where your child's car seat is, the seat back in front of them, we will always look in that. So if you have the ability to put together a packet and put it in that seat back, that is going to be my best friend when I'm responding to your, uh, your car crash. We call them MVAs. So if I slip up and say MVA, it's motor vehicle accident. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, but is, so in that packet, having a um, first and second contact is going to be great. So if you are injured maybe you, you know maybe you're not even unresponsive unconscious but you're too injured to be able to focus on your kid as your priority I need one person I can call probably your husband or the child's father uh, their other guardian I need a phone number for that person so that I can call them and get them to the scene as soon as possible also so that on the phone I can be asking them is this a medically complex child do they have seizures allergies anything else that I need to be aware of that could potentially complicate the injuries they may or may not have. And then it would be great if you put a second contact on there, because if you do list your husband or the child's father as that first primary, if this is a double fatal or we have both front passengers severely injured, both front passengers um, unconscious, 
then it doesn't do me much good to call your spouse because you guys are both in the wreck. So we, we need someone else that's probably not going to be involved. And that could even be your child's physician, um, a, a therapy center, something like that, where they're just going to know your kid really well. Um, because getting info from a person is going to be the easiest. After that, um, in your packet, just have all kinds of golden nuggets about your kid. Um, have things in there about where you want them to go. What hospital do you want them to go to? Here in Springfield, we have two options. Um, so go ahead and put your preference down so that if you're unable to tell us, we can ship them off right where you want them to go. Have that medically fragile info in there that they're on this medication, that they also have a seizure disorder. Do they have asthma? Stuff like that that we need to know. Um, let us know where you want them taken if they're not injured. Um, if your kid is perfectly fine, you don't want them hanging out in a cop car all day long while we try to figure out where to go. Um, they will potentially be able to go to a therapy center, potentially be able to go to a sitter's house, grandparents' house, aunt, uncle, something like that. So um, if there's no injuries on the kid, but you're injured and you're going to the hospital, let us know where to take them so that they're not having to hang out with us all day. We don't mind to watch them, but they're not going to be comfortable in our environment. We want to get them an environment that they are comfortable with. A couple other things that would be great in that packet is you kind of have to uh, get in your head and kind of imagine what this scene is going to be like. And if you've never seen it, um, you've got airbag dust flying around that you're choking on. There's broken glass crunching and flying everywhere. There's small engines running for the jaws of life. It's very loud. You have sirens, you have tires screeching, traffic, the radio's still going, um, the radiator's spewing steam. It's very loud, very overwhelming. So in that packet, give me some info on how to calm your child. Do I need to get them in a bear hug? Do I need to play their favorite video? If so, what is it? Put in that packet, put the link that this is their favorite video, play it on repeat and we'll do it. We'll get our phones out and we will watch, you know, whatever episode of um, Paw Patrol's kind of my go-to, um, uh -huh. you know, but we'll watch all that stuff on, on how to control your kid and, and get them in that good, controlled, comfortable environment. Um, as far as the seatbelt covers, one of the big things that would be great on that is, is thinking back to that high stress environment. The first thing I got to do is get your kiddo out of the car. And uh, most of this too goes for your neurotypical kids also. But the first thing I'm going to do is get them out um, so that I can assess them so I can remove them from the danger. So if your kiddo is going to be an elopement hazard, fire and rescue needs to know that because the last thing you want me to do is walk up, unbelt them and they bolt and they bolt across the highway, they bolt into a field, they bolt down a farm road. Um, and, you know, a lot of us aren't going to be expecting that because we don't live in your world daily. Um, so you need to warn us and you need to give us that heads up so that we can keep your kiddo safe. So if you have that seatbelt cover that says, um, you know, my daughter would say Eliza Parker, autism, and then I would put elopement risk on there, right there with it. That way, when I walk up to your kiddo, I know their name. I know they have autism and I know that they're an elopement hazard because that's going to change how I get them out of that car seat. I'm going to have multiple people there with me 
and we're going to um, get them and, and safely take them to a safe area and they will not be left alone. And we will watch them very, very closely just, just to make sure because they're going to have that anxiety. They're going to want to run. Anyone is going to want to run from that situation. Um, so that's just a big thing to keep your kiddo safe. And does verbalization um, help too? Like if um, I think you had mentioned before, if, if they're able to answer yes or no questions or things like that, um, does that help to have in the packet too? Definitely. Yeah. Um, if your kid is able to verbally answer those questions, that's good info to have in the packet that, you know, so-and-so will tell you their head hurts. But if they're not able to do that, having that info is great. You know, so-and-so is nonverbal, is unable to tell you if it hurts. And then let me know, a lot of these kids, when they're in pain, will have another behavior. Um, and it might be self-injury. They might be um, hitting themselves in the head. They may be violently rocking back and forth. They may be biting. And maybe that's how your kiddo shows pain. If so, that's really important to know because then I know they're in pain. Um, and it might be important to know, you know, uh, the, the head hitting is one of the really common ones. Um, so if your kiddo is a head hitter when they're in pain, let me know that, but also tell me that that might not necessarily mean the pain is in their head. Um, cause then I at least know, okay, he or she is in pain. It's up to me to figure out the rest, but they're telling me what they can. So yeah, knowing exactly the level, um, that they can speak at would be great. And, and also how I need to speak to them. Um, you know, I might be dealing with a 15 year old teenager that is going to be intellectually at the level of a four or five year old. Mm -hmm. Great info to have, cause I don't want to talk over their head. You know, I want to be at their level. So having that info is going to make it great for both of us. That's so, oh gosh, this is just so important to know. I mean, nobody wants to be in an accident, clearly. Um, but just knowing that my son, who is 17 and nonverbal, um, would have absolutely no way of communicating to you um, anything that's wrong. So, um, gosh, I'm going <laughs> to, I need to get this packet in my car today. I don't want to drive another day without it. Um, that's yeah. just so huge. Um, you also reference um, other situations where, um, EMTs or um, police officers even, um, or fire uh, is called to your home for any kind of an issue. Um, so what types of things, if you guys come to the door and I call you, um, do you need to know? And, and does it, is it universal for ages of kids? Um, you know, if, I know there are a lot of parents listening that have older kids, teenagers that might get very violent and break things in their homes and all of that. And Parents are always hesitant to call the authorities or call for help um, because the child is violent and they're kind of not a child anymore. I mean, they're a young adult. So um, can you speak to that with like both ages in mind of things you would need to know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's um, even where I live, that's a call that we run into occasionally. Um, usually how that's dispatched for us is child acting out of control. And that's the only info we're going to get. So when we show up, we're, you know, we don't know what's going on. We're just thinking, you know, some, some kid's mad, you know, we don't know why. So it's very important for you to meet us at the door and elaborate on that. The kid's okay. not out of control. You know, your kid is having a, a sensory issue or uh, is overstimulated and you need to elaborate to us 
why, you know, my child, you know, right at the door. And, you know, it, it might be hard to, you know, introduce your child with labels as opposed to, you know, all the, all the positive things. But when we're in the middle of a crisis like this, that you're having to call 911 for it, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty significant if you're having to call 911. Um, you need to hit us at the door with, this is my son, Jacob. He is nonverbal. He has severe autism. He's in the middle of self-injury and I need help calming him down before he hurts himself further. That's exactly what I need to know. Um, right. And that whether they're five or 15. Now, if they're five, I want your help calming them down. So tell me um, he's in his room. Let's go in together. I'm going to hold him down. And this is what I need from you. We really need you guys to take charge because you know your kid best. You know, I, mm -hmm. I can't walk into a room and know exactly how to help your kid. You do. So we need you guys to take charge. Now, if they're 15, um, I, I'm pretty small frame and that they're going <laughs> to be able to get a hold of me pretty quick. So if that's the case, you need to speak with us again and let us know. Um, he's he's a big fighter he's very strong and it's not a negative thing um we're not going to judge your kid we're not going to do any of the mandated report or we're not calling you know law enforcement might be there merely to assist but we're not trying to get your kid in trouble no nobody wants that we understand the situation um but we just need to know how best to help so say you know he's he can become very aggressive when he's having one of these sensory episodes so the best way to help is I need you to help me buy and that's going to be different for every kid maybe things have gone um so far at this point that you just need multiple bodies to help uh grab the kid hold them down and get some of that deep pressure if that's what calms your kid or whatever it may be maybe you're to the point that you need rescue meds if that's the case tell us this is beyond what I can handle I need your help holding him down and I need um, someone to help me administer rescue meds um, to to help pull them out of that crisis. So meet us at the door with all those labels so that we know exactly what we're dealing with. Um, you know, don't just be like, this is my son and, uh, I, you know, I need a little bit of help. <laughs> you know, we yeah. we need to be fully on board with the whole picture so that we can help and, and, and know what to expect and not overwhelm your child. Yeah, and I like how you mentioned too um, in the post about um, whether an IV might be needed. And if so, you know, do are multiple people required to hold them down? I know when Skylar gives blood, we don't have a choice because he just doesn't sit still. We always have to do an IV with multiple nurses and us holding him so that he doesn't pull away and yank it out um, and all of those things. And, and I also like how you mentioned, you know, just be prepared as a parent to put an oxygen mask on yourself to be, to get a fake IV put in you, like, you know, the pretend IV in case it's a young child that needs to see you doing it too. That's really smart. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you, you know, with the first part about the IV and how many people is it going to take? Typically when we're dispatched for a child with autism that's needing assistance, it's search and rescue, self-injury behavior, or elopement. That's our three. Uh -huh. But a lot of these kiddos, um, it, in the neurotypical population, the prevalence of seizures is 2%. In the autistic population, it's 30. Oh my god! That's gosh. an insane jump, 30%. Wow. 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, we could be going there for any, any other generic medical issue too. It doesn't have to just be autism. These kids can, you know, have an asthma attack or uh, croup or anything just like the rest of us. Um, so when it comes to stuff like that, if we got to give your kid a breathing treatment, make sure again, take charge, be your kid's advocate. And if you see us starting to do something and you're like, ha ha, you know, good luck please stop us and let us know, Hey, he does not like stuff on his face. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I'm going to do then is turn to you and say, okay, what do I need to do then to be successful? Cause your kiddo needs this breathing treatment or needs right. this IV. And some of that too is going to come down to, again, you know, their biological age versus their intellectual age. So um, a 15 year old, might let me do an IV, which um, in, in our, our jurisdiction, uh, we're not qualified as EMTs to, to do IV. So it would be the ambulance service doing it. But if the ambulance service is trying to start an IV, you know, that 15 year old might, you know, I might just need to explain to them, hey, we're going to give you some medicine. It's going to help you feel a lot better. And, um, you know, no one enjoys it, but they might take it okay. Versus, you know, maybe they have extreme fear and you need to let us know we need three, four, five people to hold these kiddos down. Cause um, mm -hmm. not long ago, I actually had a, a child with autism scale a tree in seconds. I mean, he was oh. up this tree 30 feet before oh the gosh. teachers even knew. And uh, we were dispatched for that. And the, the teachers did a great job via dispatch, letting us know, um, this is a child with autism. Rarely do we get that info, but that info did come through this time. So we knew kill the lights, kill the sirens. Cause we got a kid 30 feet up a tree. You know, the last thing you want is, uh, them to panic. And unfortunately, as I was probably, you know, of course, 20 seconds away, you know, at the last second, he, the tree did break. He fell all 30 feet. Oh, and, no. um, this poor kiddo did end up needing, an, an IV of pain medicine so that we could transport him effectively. And, um, he's nonverbal. Um, he, he very severe on that end of the spectrum, self-injury mm -hmm. behavior. Um, it, he had probably four or five paras holding them to the ground when we got there. Um, he was just having a very difficult time. Well, you know, we're, we're just trying to, to get things done, get this kid transported. We don't know how critical he is. The, the paramedic opens the IV and this kid sees that needle. And I'm oh. here to tell you, he couldn't tell us what hurt. He couldn't tell us what happened. He couldn't tell us how to help him, but he knew exactly what that needle was. He's a smart kid. Mm -hmm. So, you know, then the fight was on. It, we only thought we were fighting him before. We were really fighting him then. So that's important stuff to know too. Hey, my kid knows what a needle looks like. They're, you know, these are smart kids. So let us know that stuff too, so that, um, you know, we can prep that needle off to the side where they're not going to see it. We can prep, you know, things in the least stressful way instead of holding that needle up to the sun so you can see, you know, exactly the dosage you've got. So knowing some of that stuff is just so important um, because we're, also used to just, you know, it's routine stuff for us, whip out a needle, drop some meds and go. Um, so knowing exactly how your kiddo is going to react, very good info to, to make it as less stressful as possible. Okay. Um, you had mentioned a little bit ago too about elopement. So I know that's a whole different animal um, as far as what you guys have to do. So, and I know there are a lot of families who have to deal with the unfortunate situation of elopement with their child. 
Um, so can you talk a little bit about that next? Um, you know, what, what do you need to know? Yeah, and, and elopement, man, that's one of our big ones because it can go south so fast. Yes, um, And it's, yeah, terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Um, and, you know, with a, a medical emergency, a motor vehicle accident, you can gain control of that situation really quickly. But elopement, you know, that's one of those that we might be, you know, we might go upstairs and find your kid in bed and you you didn't just look good enough, you know, you, you, were, you were panicked, or we might be doing like an eight-hour deal. Um, so this can go um, pretty big or pretty small. Um, NCIB, their study is that there's 27% of the autistic population struggles with elopement. So again, it's, it's a very, very common deal. So we don't want parents to feel bad. Sometimes parents panic and call 911 immediately. That is what we want. Others, kind of like you mentioned before, they're scared to call the authorities because they lost their kid and they feel bad. Like, oh my God, I lost my kid. What kind of parent am I? No, no, no. <laughs> Kids run off. It's what they do. They hide really well. Don't feel bad. Call 911 immediately. We would rather get there as soon as possible and find your kid quickly than let them get to that body of water or let them mm -hmm. get to the highway. Yeah. So the, the best thing you can do um, is immediately call 911 before they get too far and then start tearing the pictures off your walls. Um, grab all their school pictures, grab your family pictures and just start handing them out because then we immediately have a picture of your kid and we don't have to wait for you to go dig and find one. Um, just pull it off the wall, hand it to us immediately. Um, we'll take a picture of it. We'll disseminate that to our crews who are out in vehicles. You might only see one of us show up to your house, but I guarantee you there's five to 10 to 20, 30 other vehicles circling the area. So we're texting that info out so we've got a good picture of your kid. And it's important to have that picture. And if you know their clothing, um, like I said on Facebook, until you're searching for one kid, there's not a lot of kids outside. But when you're looking for that one kid, you find mm -hmm. a lot of kids. <laughs> so I want to find the one that I'm looking for. Um, and it, it's hard to know. I can't tell you what my daughter's wearing downstairs right now. Um, it, it's hard to know. But uh, I know a lot of people keep a schedule, especially in the special needs community, because you guys are so overwhelmed with therapies, schools, events, stuff like that. If you have a calendar on the wall, every day, just write down red shirt, blue shirt, you know, um, Elmo shirt, whatever it happens to be. And it, especially if your kiddo is one of those that likes to um, elope, if they're mm -hmm. a big runner, uh, this is idea. something you got to worry about. Because mm -hmm. then you can go right to that calendar and say, but if not, you know, a good picture of their face, we can make that work. And then let me know the top three, you know, or so places that you think that kid's going to go. If you know that they love the neighbor's trampoline, I'm going to go there first. If you know that they love the fishing pond down the street, I'm going to go there. So give me just two or three of those big places that you think they're going to be so that we have somewhere to start and we're not just crawling all over the neighborhood. We will hit those places first. And then um, if you know of any hazards, water, water, water. Um, you guys know these kids don't have a good, healthy fear. They are fearless. They are too brave for their own good. They, you know, they, they have no problem crossing the highway. They have no problem going right to the water. 
So if you know that there is a pond on your property, if you know there is a river nearby, uh, please let us know because that is the first place that we need to head. Um, a priority over finding your kid is blocking those areas. If there's a chance that they're gonna run to that river, I'm gonna send someone to block that river first and then everyone else will then start searching because I don't wanna be running around the whole neighborhood looking for your kid in the meantime, they're on the riverbank. So we need to secure those high hazard areas immediately. And we need your help to do that. And that's where knowing that these kids are in our community is important. Come to the firehouse, come to the police station, let us know about your kid, let us meet your kid because then I can do a hazard map of your area. And these hazard maps will be a Google screenshot of the aerial view of your house and I'll, I'll take it out you know a couple miles because these kids can move fast so we'll take it out to a big area and then i can highlight the highways i can highlight the ponds the rivers the lakes i can highlight those high hazard areas and then god forbid the day you call and you say you know luke got out i can pull that map up and i know okay he's got a pond 100 yards from his house that is the first place I need to go to make sure he's not beat me to it or whatever. You know, I know those high hazard areas. So knowing the hazards are huge. So if I were to bring my child to the closest lo local fire department that, um, that I have near my house, just to introduce him, you're saying that um, most of them can store the information that there's a special needs person living, you know, in my area um, at my address and that they can, kind of plan out this map in case it's needed? Is that what you're saying or am I misunderstanding? No, you're correct. A lot of the agencies do have that ability. We have computer software. A lot of us call it CAD. It's computer-aided dispatch. And you can submit a form. Um, if, if you ask your dispatch center, I know for us it's called a special needs form. And it's not necessarily just for special needs kiddos. It just is like an extra help form. Um, so it could even be for a deaf elderly person, a wheelchair bound elderly person. It, it's for anyone that needs a little extra help. So you submit these special needs forms to your dispatch center and it lets us know on dispatch, they have it entered for your address. So it pings up with that info for them. And then they give the info to us. So say it's a house fire, they're going to come back to us and say, hey, you have a wheelchair bound kid with cerebral palsy on the second floor. And that's the info we get. So you know, we might not know much else, but we know we have a house on fire with a kiddo in a wheelchair upstairs. So it, it gets us that, that rescue info right off the uh, top of our heads. So they can also put autism in there or Down syndrome. Um, I know I've been dispatched before where I've got um, hazard info is what we call it. it. doesn't mean your kid's a hazard. It's just the, the tab that they have in it. But I've got hazard info that tells me that I have a severe autism in that house. Um, and so that's how I know what I'm going to. So yeah, you can um, most likely go to your fire department. Now, if your fire department or police department doesn't have the ability to do that, um, if they, you know, you might be in a small rural area where they don't have the funding for it, make sure you find someone that has a passion for the community. You'll probably find them. Um, find someone that lives near you that's in, associated with the fire department, someone that can just store that info in their head because we're good about that. Um, people, I don't, I think people underestimate how much we will memorize about our community. 
we will remember your name. We will remember where you're at. And, you know, it might be two or three years down the road, but we'll think, man, isn't that the house with the little boy who might run away? And we need to get over there quick because he has autism and he doesn't remember, you know, to be afraid of these things. So even if they don't have those forms, just meeting with them will most likely get some of that in their head. But, but yeah, make sure you reach out. That's great. And you mentioned too, like um, letting you know in an elopement case, things that could help or hinder you guys. Like, so are you willing to play, play Elmo's world or whatever over the PA when you're trying to look for a child that <laughs> loves Elmo? I mean, I'm sure crazier things have, have been done to help find someone, but. Yeah, no, we will do whatever it takes. If that's what it is, then you better bet there's going to be 20 fire trucks driving around playing Elmo. And <laughs> everyone's going to wonder what's up. But uh, we, hey, if it finds your kid, we're going to do it. And um, maybe that means mom riding beside us. Um, I mean, it could be. And maybe, for instance, maybe your kid doesn't want that. Tell us, too. The more noise you make, the further he's going to run. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, anything that's going to help us or hurt us, you know, please <laughs> help us, uh, you know, help us help you help make the job a little bit easier because, um, we'll do what we can. And if you happen to have a big family, use that to your advantage. One person needs to stay at home just in case the kid comes back, just in case the kid's hiding in the house and somehow we all missed it. Um, but if you have multiple siblings that are, you know, older, um, a spouse, grandparents, whatever, start sticking them in fire trucks too, because they're going to identify your kid quicker than we can. Yeah. Um, they know, you know, they know the back of your kid's head, you know, so I don't. Um, so they might be able to spot your kid further away than I can. And um, they might be able to, you know, if I find your kid walking through a field and I start going out after them and, you know, hey, Steven, come here. They're like, well, who's this crazy lady running after me? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. they're going to, I keep running, you know, they're going to, but if I can get big brother out, you know, they might come for, for big brother. I think that's, so that's something all that's important. Important, important too, that I learned a long time ago when Skylar, my son was little, that there are definitely uh, children who um, respond the opposite way when you yell after them or you run, they think it's a game and they think you're chasing them. So I would imagine it's important <laughs> yes. to tell you guys too, like, you know, Definitely. don't, please don't run after them um, because it's just going to make them run faster and farther. Or if they're a climber, like you mentioned with the tree or just anything about their physical abilities. Yeah. And that, that is important because, you know, some of these kids, um, have very poor motor skills and others have really good motor skills. So um, let me know what your kid is capable of. If they're tree climbers, like this kid that I ran at the school, you know, a couple months back, he scaled that tree in seconds flat. Um, that's good to know because typically when I'm looking for a kid that is lost, I'm not looking in the trees um, or I'm not looking on roofs or what have you. Um, so if your kid is good at that stuff, let me know versus if your kid has poor motor skills and I'm probably going to find them just walking down the sidewalk, that's important to know. It, it just broadens where your eyes look. If you tell me, hey, man, he, he can climb, he can run, he, you know, he is a gazelle. It just changes where my eyes go. So having that info and knowing their abilities is really important. And then, yeah, if they're going to run when I'm calling them or if I'm coming after them, you know, when you've when you find the lost kid, your, your first 
thought is to run after them and catch them. You don't want them to go further. Um, so meet me at the door again and let me know if you find him, do not chase him. Do not try to grab him because then as long as he's in a safe area, I can just follow behind him or her um, in my truck and I'll just make sure they're, you know, safe, you know, I'll intervene if they start to, you know, get in a roadway or near water or something like that. But as long as they're in a safe area, I can follow behind them in my truck while someone brings you to the scene and then you can get your kid. And again, it just keeps that low stress environment for everybody. So helpful. Um, I think the last of the like the big topics on my mind um, would be fire. So in a fire situation, um, gosh, that's just a whole nother mess of of concerns. Um, I think you had mentioned to me that uh, you kind of learned that a lot of the special uh, ed classes and special needs programs within the schools in your area specifically didn't ha offer fire prevention, safety, or any of that stuff to those children. Um, I'm sure some of it is probably because of the fear of the sirens and the noises and the lights and the sensory overload and things like that. Um, but tell me a little bit about that. And I, I think you developed a program or something in your community. People could replicate that um, in their own communities if it's it's not something that's going on. Yeah, we so we do the uh, fire prevention week every October, and um, in our area, I, I, this last October we found that the you know typical classes were participating, but the special ed classes were not. And I do think, uh, like you said, I think that came from a place of goodwill. I don't think it was anything negative or malicious on their part. I think they were looking out for the kids and not wanting them. Um, you know, we're as firemen, not very sensitive people. We're very loud and abrasive. We have loud things, shiny things. Um, we like to hit the sirens. We like to do the horns. So the last thing most people want to do is bring their kids near us because we are just loud people. Um, so I think that it was just from a place of good nature to keep them um, inside where they're most comfortable and in therapy where they're getting the most um, benefit. However, it's very, very important um, to our fire district and I'm sure to most others that these kids be involved also. Um, kids in fires, um, and in 2015, CBS actually did a report in Denver on kids that hide from firemen during fires. It's a very common phenomenon because they're scared. They're not used to smoke. They're not used to fire, stuff like that. So they hide from us. And if you have never seen us fully geared up, you know, in all the turnout gear, the big loud pack on our back, the sound that makes when we breathe, the amount of beeping and noises that the machine makes, um, it, it can be very overwhelming. It's going to scare a kid on top of the fact that, you know, they were just playing with a little match and now their whole bedroom's on fire. They're terrified. So we want kids to be comfortable with us. And that's neurotypical kids and that's special needs kiddos. So the, the biggest thing I would say to these fire districts and to parents is call your school and make sure, you know, call and say, hey, is my kid going to participate in fire prevention week this week? And if they say, no, you know, we like to keep them back in therapy. Um, we don't want to overstimulate them. Say, well, here's the deal. I want my kid to participate. If you need to go and help, then go and help. But you want them to see us. You want them to see our gear. You want them to be comfortable with us because they might see us come into their house for a medical on you. You might um, 
be in a car crash one day where they need to be comfortable with the truck pulling up, you know, you never know when they're going to see us and they just need to be comfortable. So fire districts need to reach out to their schools. Parents need to reach out to their schools and just make sure that these kids are being exposed to us. And can't they do like, um, you know, I think you had mentioned too, to me that when you guys do these, you would park the the lights and the, the trucks with noises and stuff on one part of the school. I mean, a lot of kids aren't at school right now, so <laughs> it's a little bit different, but yeah. when they are traditionally in the building, um, you, you would park a truck that doesn't have any lights on, doesn't have any sirens on, on the other side of the building so that the kids that had sensory issues could, um, you know, still s- climb into the truck, see the truck, talk to you guys, things like that without all of the noises, if that was a hindrance. And then the children who don't have sensory issues with noise and aversion to, to lights um, could go to the other side and, you know, see the truck and all of its glory <laughs> all lit up yeah. and loud. Yep. Um, does that work? Yeah, definitely. We, whenever we do that now, um, we have the trucks just line up, you know, wherever for the um, neurotropical kids, wherever they want us. And then we refer to the other one as the sensory truck. So everyone knows, oh, the sensory truck is over here. The sensory truck goes there, whatever. And um, that's the truck that is quiet. We usually have less, you know, we stick more firemen over with the neurotypical so that we don't have five firemen walk right up to, you know, our special needs kids. Um, so we have less of a crowd there. Um, we pull some of the equipment out, so it's just not so overwhelming. And honestly, whenever we've done it, um, we're also very fortunate. We've got several firemen that, um, myself being one of them, there's a, a organization here in Springfield called Arc the Ozarks, and they uh, run group homes for special needs uh, members of the community. Several of us have also worked there. Um, and so when we run our sensory truck at the fire prevention week those are the first firemen to go to the sensory truck because you already have experience working with these kids so we stick the best firemen over there and um it it has always gone great for us the kids crawl all over it i mean you would never know that um they even have sensory issues they they love it they're all about it so it's, it's gone really well for us that's so smart and and uh, such a great thing, again, to be able to replicate in our communities. I mean, we all are huge advocates for inclusion and no matter what that is, you know, we want our kids to be included in every single thing. And um, there's always accommodations that can be made so that, so that they aren't left out of things that are very important like this. This is definitely important. Um, you make some very valid Absolutely. points that if they never are exposed to a fire truck or um, you know, firemen, um, they will be scared to death when they approach a car fully suited up, you know, and trying to get them yes. out. They'll be scared. <laughs> it's like a monster kind of, I mean, you guys have so much gear on. It's yeah, very yeah. intimidating. We're definitely intimidating. <laughs> Even you, your tiny little frame <laughs> with all those clothes <laughs> on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, uh, and we got, you know, we got some firemen that are some big old boys too. Yeah, One of my old I'm partners, sure. I think he's like six, eight or something. So, Jeez. you know, he, yeah. he puts some gear on and I mean, he's like a building coming at you. <laughs> um, well, so if you're talking about um, approaching a home that's on fire with a special needs person inside um, or someone with disabilities, what is it similar to kind of what you were saying Granted, we won't be meeting you at the door and having a conversation because everyone's probably trying to get out of the house. But what types of things in a fire situation do you need to know from the families um, as they're trying to get out and things like that? Or is it yeah, different? Um, yeah. We just need to know 
we just got to think rescue, rescue, rescue. And literal seconds matter when something is on fire. And I, I know that's, you know, obviously, but literal seconds matter in getting kids out of these fires. So um, when we first run up to the house, hopefully, you know, of course you've tried to get your kid out. You know, most, most parents are going to do everything they can to get their kid out on their own. But you got to think maybe the, it's nighttime, everyone was asleep, and the fire started in between you. You can't get to them. So don't just always think, you know, some people brush it off and, and think, well, I'm going to grab my kid. In a perfect world, absolutely. But it's a fire you didn't plan for. So make sure that you know as soon as you get to the door to give us that vital info. So most houses are laid out um, somewhat generically where you can meet us at the door and say, to the left are all the bedrooms. To the right, you know, that may be kitchen, laundry room, garage, stuff like that. Don't care about that unless you think that's where your kid is. Um, so say all the bedrooms are to the left. My kid is in the second door on the left because when we search a home, we go in and we have a hand on the wall and we just follow the outline of the room um, while we're spread out doing our search. So we're gonna hit doorways. And if you tell me that your kid's in the second doorway, I'm gonna run the perimeter of that room, find the first door, skip it, second door, bam, I'm in your kid's bedroom and hopefully I can find them right off the bat. And we're gonna search as we go, you know, of course, in case they're not where you think they are, but that gives us a really good starting point to know um, that that's most likely where they are. And it's important to, if your kid has a fascination with fire and you think that they may have lit this, please let us know. And again, no one is going to try to get your kid in trouble, but we need to know because that means that your kid, if they lit the fire is closest to the fire, they are going to be in the fire room, which mm -hmm. means that the clock is ticking. It also tells me that, you know, most likely I can read the building and know where the fire room is. So if you say, hey, he loves fire. Um, I, I think there's a possibility that this could have happened. I'm hot footing it for that room. And that's going to be the first room I look because that's the room with the smallest time frame for survivability. And I need to find your kid in there fast. Um, again, these kids can hide. And then um, out of kids less than nine, 43% of those deaths are from kids who are attempting to escape, or sorry, attempting to escape, unable to escape, or acting inappropriately. And uh, that, that falls into that special needs category, acting inappropriately and unable to escape. They just don't know what to do. Um, they're overwhelmed. They don't know how to self-rescue. So 43% of the deaths less than nine are attributed to that. So we have to act quick, especially in these younger kiddos, to get them out of there as quickly as possible. So let us know that stuff and let us know, um, especially if the fire is smaller, where your kid is probably conscious and we just need to remove them from the building, Again, let us know their capabilities. Are they going to be aggressive and fight us? I'm telling you, I would if someone comes yeah. dressed like we are and tries to grab me. So we're going to expect it to some degree. Are they going to hide from us? And then are they able to crawl back to those gross motor skills? If I get them to the ground and I'm trying to get them to crawl out with me in that good air on the low part of the floor, is that even anything they can do? Or do we need to be prepared to get them to the ground and haul them out? Um, uh -huh. Because again, it, it's quick. So sometimes it has to be a little rough, but we just got to be quick to get out of there as quick as possible.
is um, I think you had asked the question if um, if to let you know how a child responds to the the noise of a smoke detector and the beeping, you know, do you, have you had situations where um, clearly that throws them into sensory overload and then they hide in their room? So if I know that my child is asleep in their room and then um, they're not in their bed where you would expect them to be because obviously they were woken up by the smoke detector and they maybe hide in their closet or hide under their bed god forbid or whatever how do you guys i mean you just need to know that that they're typically a hider if if it's a loud noise or just how they respond to loud noises yes yeah it's just good to know because we you know typically most people that are going to go down in a fire because they weren't able to escape enough we're going to find them in an open hallway because they're running out um, or you're going to open a door and they're right behind the door. You know, you're going to smack them with the door because they were trying to get out. So you find them in an exit path. But if your kiddo is overwhelmed and they're going to hide, tell me their favorite hiding spot. Um, and that's where I'm going to search because if, you know, just, just put yourself in this situation. If you got to find someone in a house fire, are you looking in the corner of the closet buried underneath a blanket and other clothes on top of them? Probably not. Um, you, you know, you, you don't, ex are you looking under the bed? You know, probably not. You know, you're, you're expecting them to be in an exit path. So if I need to find your kid in an unconventional place, let me know. And that, um, that CBS Denver article from 2015, they list some of the places that they find these kids in showers, um, piles of clothes, stuff like that. I mean, they hide and, and those are neurotypical kids, too, that will do this. So you got to think about it across all age groups, all kids. Um, they, they hide in some funky places that we're not expecting to search. And uh, it, it's just going to make us much more thorough to know that those are the options on the table. And you got to also remember that in a house fire, typically there's zero visibility when we're searching a high fire room. We aren't going to be able to see anything. So it's all by feel. So searching a cluttered closet for a kid that doesn't want to be found, very difficult. But if you tell me that it's a, a, a high probability, I'm tearing that closet apart because I got to find your kid. Yeah. And I know a lot of people, I mean, gosh, when I was little, which was like decades and decades ago, <laughs> um, my parents <laughs> had like children in this room, stickers on the windows and stuff. I can imagine that those are, while those are helpful, you know, to have a sticker on the bedroom window of your child with special needs, I don't know that that is as valuable, um, would you say, as the parents saying they're in the second room on the left, like you said, um, because if, if it's full of smoke and fire and flames, how can you see that sticker anyway, right? Does that make sense or am I totally negating the benefit of having those stickers on the windows? Yeah, no, you're good. Um, really, too, those stickers, uh, they used to be extremely common. You don't see them anymore. And uh, a lot of people don't recommend them anyways now because of child predation. Yeah, it tells um, people when, when there's kids in your rooms. Exactly. <laughs> where they yeah. are. You know, yeah. and the, the creepy neighbors like, oh, hey. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, I, you know, I live in the middle of 10 acres. I could sticker my house all up. Nobody would know it. But um <laughs> So if, if that's something that's important to you, then, then you can. Um, but I will say nothing beats specific information. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just, this is so valuable. I just can't underscore enough the amount of information that can be shared by the parents um, 
even the grandparents, I think you've mentioned before too, to have packets in the cars of grandparents or anyone that transports your child on a regular basis, nannies, babysitters, whoever, um, because they could be in an accident also. And that's gonna be really confusing when it's not their parent. Um, so I, I think it's beneficial for anyone that transports your child to have information on your child in the car. Yeah, and right. then they just know when they're in that situation, you know, say the kid's name is Tyler, they got a folder named uh, Tyler, and they, they just, because it's, you know, everyone thinks they know everything until they're in that situation, and they're like, oh my god, you know, what medicine does he take, you know, and, and it just slips your mind, and um, mm -hmm. I would think about it too, if your kid um, is living in a group home, um, and that might be a little bit different because maybe you don't have that daily contact or whatever, but I've responded to a couple group homes where they might not, you know, it, it could be someone new to the job and they don't know your kid as well, or it's over, everything is always overnight. Nothing happens during the day. It's always overnight. So they only have one employee and they have three to five um, people that they're um, taking care of and everybody now is having high behaviors because there's an emergency happening. There's trucks, there's people barging in the house at 2.30 in the morning. So they don't have the time to sit down and tell me this is how best to calm him or her. This is who to call. This is where to go. You know, sometimes they're just like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed. You know, she's having trouble breathing. Please help. And that's all we get, you know. So even having that packet, if you've got a group home, um, you know, still even then. Yeah, well, and um, you had sent me or you had posted the forms, um, samples of the forms to share with the emergency service organizations um, that you had talked to me about a little bit earlier on this uh, taping about, um, you know, just letting them know that there's a special needs person in the community. Um, so I will link those up to the show notes for this as well. Um, is there anything else? I mean, my gosh, you've given so much advice. That's so helpful. Um, that, is there anything else that you would want to share with um, just special needs families uh, that we can do in addition to everything you've already mentioned? Or is this pretty much covers the gamut? <laughs> I don't want anyone to freak out because these emergencies happen. And sadly, this is just the reality that we live, especially if we have a nonverbal child. So it's, we have to think of all of these things, you know, in advance. Yeah, and I, it, it is a lot. And of course, you know, no fireman, EMT, whatever is going to expect you to do all of this. You know, you have to pick what is going to work for your family and what you can do because you guys aren't perfect. You have a lot on your plate already. Um, so just pick what you can and, and implement that. But um, the only other stuff I would really add is to, you know, if your fire department, police department, whatever, does not know right now that there's a kiddo with special needs in your house, whether it's autism, Down syndrome, epilepsy, diabetes, whatever, go ahead and by tonight they need to know. And um, that way you can introduce them, let them know just the basic do's and don'ts of your kid and um, invite us out. That is the biggest thing you can probably do is a lot of people want to bring their kid to the fire station. Totally cool. We love it. It's a lot of fun to have kids running around, but your kid needs to see us on their turf because when something goes down in the middle of the night or when there's a car wreck, we come to them. They don't come to us when you have a heart attack. They don't come to us when mom falls down the stairs and is unconscious. We go to you. So they need to 
see us walk through their door. They need to see us park in their driveway. Um, and that's very, very important. So inviting us over for a bunch of that little stuff is going to be very important. And um, let us know if it's their birthday, we'll do a drive by and we'll honk and do sirens if that's what they want. If you just want us to drive by and be quiet and wave because that's what they want, we'll do that. Um, if your kid's doing a lemonade stand, if your kid's doing a water gun fight in the front yard, um, if your kid just likes to wave at the window, you know, any of that, just let us know once a week or once a month, we'll come by and, and we'll hang out with your kid for just a minute so that they know we're safe. They know that we are friendly and it's, it's just going to make that transition a lot better when they see us in their house and it's not so terrifying. That's so great. That's such valuable information. And, um, you know, I wished I had thought of those things and known those things before my son was 17, you know, when he was younger, it would just be helpful. <laughs> I do have a lot of police officer, um, and, um, fireman friends. So, um, I, I thought about taking Skylar down to the station and just so they could just, I don't know, interact and see a child that's severe. Um, he's not a child really anymore, a teenager that's yes. severe and might smack them on the arm or, um, you know, push them, not meaning to just, that's just how he greets people. Sometimes he just kind of slaps you on the arm and doesn't think anything of it. My biggest fear is that, you know, we'll be somewhere and he will smack a police officer and they flip out on him, you know, like you don't mm -hmm. get somebody like you don't get someone that's in <laughs> yeah, you don't hit or whatever. <laughs> So I would think maybe if they just, if they're introduced to more and more of our kids and all the different varying levels on the spectrum of severity, they would have a better understanding too, because I imagine a lot of them don't live in this world either, like us. They don't have a lot of experience with people with special needs. So, you know, they, to their defense, I guess they don't know what to expect either, just like we don't. Absolutely. So. Yeah, most of us, you know, firefighting is definitely a young man's career. A lot of us don't even have kids, let alone kids on the spectrum. So uh -huh. letting us see, and it's exactly kind of what you're saying, letting us see your kid on a bad day, whether it's at our station or at your house, is so valuable. Because so many of us don't even know what autism looks like, sounds like, any of that. We don't know that, you know, some kids might come up and, and smack us on the arm, or they might... Um, one of the things that really off. catches, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the things that really catches people off guard a lot of times is the high level shrieking. You know, your kid just uh -huh. might make these loud shrieking noises. It, it makes people jump. It physically makes them jump and catches them off guard. So to know that that's even a thing is so important. And to know the spinning, flapping, running, um, all of that stuff that your kid might just drop to the ground and not move. You know, all of that is so important because a lot of us aren't parents or aren't parents of kids on the spectrum and we just don't know. And that's where you have to be the best advocate for your kid. And don't be afraid to throw out those labels and throw out the do's and don'ts and just be an advocate. That's great, great advice. Thank you so much, Ashley. I mean, this is just so Oh, so valuable for everyone listening. And especially with your young age and being a brand new mama of a nine week old, um, just how much, how proactive you are and just how much you want to, to help all of us and all the things that you've seen in your young years and your young career. Uh, it's just, it's so important. So I encourage everyone listening to contact your local authorities, your fire stations, and 
just check in with them and ask these questions of them and, and introduce your, your son or daughter to them. And I think it'd be better for everybody. So I appreciate you so much, Ashley. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. And I just hope Absolutely. that uh, everyone can at least just take one little thing and hopefully be a little bit more prepared. And I'll link up your um, contact information on your Facebook page um, so that they can reach out to you with specific questions if anyone has any, if that's okay. Yep, of course. Any Anything at all, you know, I'm, I'm here all the time. So just reach on out. Perfect. Well, have a great rest of your day and I appreciate you so much. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.